Hello, kings and queens out there. Welcome to my podcast. This is your host, Yolanda Mitchell, and welcome to Nubian Queen Talk. I have a special guest today, and her name is Marlise. And Miss Marlise is a very special, dear friend of mine who I have grown to just love her by the spirit. And I really wanted to her to get on this podcast to really talk about a deep issue that we're facing in America. And one of it is addiction. So our topic, our main topic today will be um, recognizing the spirit of addiction. And what does it look like when people are high? So before we get into that, I want to have her to come on, introduce herself to find out how did she get to this point of wanting to even talk about the spirit of addiction. You know, what she experienced in her own personal life and what things that she experienced herself about this spirit of addiction. So Queen Marlies, how are you doing today? Wonderful. I'm so excited about what we're doing. Yes, ma'am. And I am am excited to hear what you have to say because I know you have so much information to provide for us. Um, So we're going to let you introduce yourself and tell us how did you get to the place where you just wanted to talk about this particular subject, the spirit of addiction, whether it be drug addiction, alcohol addiction. Just just open up and just tell us your background, your history. Oh, yes, I'd be honored. Um, in 1992, mm-hmm. Memorial Day, uh, my husband, John R. Burkhart Sr., committed suicide due to his addiction to drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like something, uh, you know, demonic entered into my household that day and um, tried to destroy my family from that point on. Mm-hmm. And then fast forward to 2011. My firstborn son, John R. Burkhart Jr., um, 24 years old, anointed of God, had a calling on his life, the hardest worker you've ever seen. He overdosed on a drug called Opana. That's mm. an opiate for end-time cancer patients. Wow. And then four short months later, my firstborn daughter, Autumn Joy Burkhart, she also overdosed from the same drug. Hannah. Uh, um, John had a twin sister, Rhiannon, who was also addicted. Um, after the loss of her twin brother and then her older sister, she still continued with her drug use. In fact, she moved on from just opiates. She was already addicted to opiates. And my now ex-husband, gave her a line of methamphetamine on Easter Sunday. She was immediately addicted to that. Mm. And then she added heroin to the mix to level out. So she was doing opiates, methamphetamine, and heroin. Um, God Mm. moved me to Florida. He instructed me to come to White Springs, Florida. Mm -hmm. He told me he would heal my broken heart Mm. and give me ministry and I obeyed. Uh, I came blindly. I didn't know anyone here. Never had been here to some lane my dad had left me. But anyway, after three years, my daughter called and asked if she could come and visit. I said, of course, bring it. Right. She, she went to church with me, and God delivered her. Mm. He instructed her to move to White Springs, Florida, stay with me, Amen. and leave her children in Indiana, and 
and that he would give them back. And he did. He did. Um, she has four years clean and sober. Wow. She's doing great. She's going to school to be an addiction therapist. Wow. She has a heart. Uh, she has my vision for ministry. You know, we believe that God's going to use us and use this land that he's given us to help people that struggle with addiction, people that just got out of prison, jail, people that struggle with alcoholism, drug addiction. So we're just excited about the future and what God's doing in our lives. Right. That's a lot. It is. That is is a lot to how it's like a line. It's like a generational thing that came by way of, you know, sounds like your husband's bloodline. You know, and it's like, um, one of those things that, that it entered in that way um, because I don't recall you saying anything as it relates to your side of the family it's like it sounded like a lot of it came through your husband's um, your deceased husband's side um, of the family from what I could tell am I correct about that or, or? yes ma'am okay. uh, we have uh, on my side also as well uh, more um, alcohol and drug use and drug use got you and, on both sides. Okay, so so it was on both it was on both sides, but more so on you know his side with the drugs and your side with with the alcohol. So it's like it's like on both sides. It's like and that's you know what I'm, I'm gonna say this. That's why we have to be careful who we um, get into relationships with and who we marry and have children with. And now I understand why you know your parents say who are their parents and I need to meet them. How was, how was their family? And it's like, you know, thinking that you, they're trying to get into our business. But the reason why they want to meet the family is because they want to know what is being, what's going to be introduced into your child's life. And what they're going to have to experience and deal with. You know, because if, they, if their family is chaotic, if their family is dramatic, if, if their family have been in and out of prison and jail, it's like a history of that. Or if their family deal drugs or um, smoke a lot, drink a lot. If their family like to fight all the time. You know, you have to know what you're getting yourself into. And it just, I've had that thing like that also. Um, that when you get into families and things like that, you know, you realize you don't get to know the family. You know, because we don't want to get to know the family. We really just want to get to know that person. That's it. We don't want to go down deeper and say, who's your aunt? Who's your auntie family? How's your mom side of the family? How are they? How's your mom and your dad side of the family? Can I meet them too? You know, we don't try to get and delve into that stuff. We just try to limit it with the person that we're dating, not knowing that there's a, a, a generational thing that may be going on in the family that, hey, can you really handle this? Is it something that you want to put up with? You know, so that's how come it's, it's important that we go back to those days and try to figure out what's in the family bloodline. You know, you find out what's in the bloodline by how everybody is. And are you just having a conversation with that person and just say, can I talk about you? Can we talk about your family? Like, how is your family? Like, what, what stands out more about your family than anything else? Do, you have a, do your family have a history of this and a history of that? Because I need to know. And also, when we go to the doctor, what's the first thing the doctor does? Does your family have a history of high blood pressure, diabetes, strokes, and cancer? You know, things that they want to know what's in the bloodline. And we, yeah. we should do the same. So that's, uh, you know, amazing how that just how that just came up. You know, I hope that helps somebody. So that was yeah, a lot. I've that... always said, Ms. Yolanda, since this has happened, I said, Lord, I believe in arranged marriages. I wish that somebody would have picked for me. I think they would have done a better job. Oh, wow. You're right. And, you know, 
thinking about that, you're like, no, I don't want an arranged marriage because I don't know them. But guess what? The reason why it's arranged because somebody has done the digging. They have done the research. Right. You know, that's ain't that something? Yeah. That it is really is. That y'all I'm glad you said that because that does it makes sense. I mean, it makes sense. It it really makes sense. So since all of that have happened, I know that has now become, you know, your passion. And you're saying that I want to just be able to minister and help people. And it's so awesome um, that you're wanting to do that. And I know the experience from it all was not good at all because you lost children. You lost your husband. You lost family members. And that had to be, that had to have been devastating. But for you to still have a, such a passionate, understanding, careful heart, carefree heart, and still love people genuinely and have lost family. I mean, I, my heart goes out to you. I have no idea of how I would handle it if I have lost my children and how what state of mind I will be in if I've had experienced, you know, not one, but two of my children and my husband. I don't know where I would be at. And for you to be able to get on this podcast, it's such a beautiful thing and very humbling for myself. And I'm very honored that you said yes to go on this podcast. Oh, and, I'm honored that you would invite me. Yes, you know, ma'am. I, I followed you on Facebook for so long and that I was able to meet you. And we had an immediate connection. And um, I've just watched what God's doing in your life. And I'm so excited to be able to connect with you more and be a part of your vision. Yes, ma'am. And thank you for that. I really, truly appreciate it because this what God have us doing. We're going to be able to help other people, you know, such as with the your experience, your personal experience. Like you, you haven't had any type of education, you know, as relate to drug addiction. You've had your own personal experience. And I always, I often tell people the best experience is personal experience. When you have lived in a home where your children were addicted and your husband have dealt with some things and and then have that experience and you, and you see what it looks like and you know how it affects them and you know ultimately what would happen if it's not dealt with. So we were talking about the spirit of addiction and what it looks like. Can you tell us like when it comes down to, you know, your children, if you don't mind talking about it, you know, what does it look like? You know, did it change like did, did they take baths or did they act out or did they lose any sleep? Did they have discoloration of their fingernails of their eyes or around their eyes you know what what were some of the things that you picked up on it when you when you noticed they was under you know or, or each um pill because i know even with drugs like with meth and crack and pills it affect every it affect people differently they have different things they do with different drugs like these drugs have spirits attached to them so when you talk about the drug that your son was was on you know or your husband or your or your daughter um what drug was it and then how did it make how did it affect them because I, i've never heard of hannah you know i've never heard of that one so how did that affect them and what were some of the things they did uh, it totally totally changed um you know their spirit it changed their behavior it changed their actions i always said that um you know after the kids passed I felt like the Lord went ahead and took them home because if not they might have not made it home um you know and I believe that they're both in heaven mm-hmm. I believe that was my whole heart but you know, I just it changed everything and uh, John was the hardest worker you've ever seen mm-hmm. he he was just a worker and he was um you know in the union 
made great money, but you know, as his addiction grew, his ability to go to work changed. You know, he missed a lot of work. He mm. was laid off a lot, mm. uh, dropping unemployment, choosing to do that. Um, I tried so many times to get him help. I took him to treatment centers. I mean, he was already an, an adult and out of the house when the addiction hit the hardest but you know it did start out when he was a teenager and I fought and fought and fought and prayed and, and cried out to God and cried out to him in fact I seen him the day before he passed and uh, I was going on uh, I worked at the VA hospital but I was going to get a second job and I was going on the interview and I seen that he was home and I stopped and spoke to him and the last thing you know I was ever able to say I said please John you have to do something I said, I don't want to have to worry and wonder for the rest of my life if you made it to heaven. Wow. And I was able to tell him, you know, how much I loved him and never seen him alive again. You know, the next day I was there, my dad called and, and told me that, um, you know, his girlfriend couldn't wake him up. And I said, oh, she, you know, she's just ridiculous. And I went and, you know, he was gone. He was gone. The police were there. Um, I even asked, I, I had known from when my husband committed suicide that, you know, I wasn't going to be able to see the body again, so I asked, you know, the people that had him in the ambulance in the body bag, I said, I want to see my son, and so um, they did, they said, let us clean him up a, a minute, because I said, I know after this, I'm not going to see him until he's at the funeral home, so they did um, let me climb up in the ambulance, mm -hmm. and they unzipped the body bag, and they let me look at my son one more time, you know, and touch him. And I just remember that I just started praying in tongues. I mm. just started praying. Um, but there was some kind of closure. And then even with my daughter, Autumn, uh, the last time I seen her, she was she was going to leave and go with her sister. And she asked me what I thought about it. And mm. I said, it's not a good idea. I don't think you should leave. Um, but I told her, you know, no matter what, just remember, always remember that you have a mother here that's interceding and praying for you and that she loves you. And just know I'll always love you. And so that was my last words to her. So it was, I think it was just so kind of God to give me that moment with Why? You know, both of my children because he already knew what was going to happen. Wow. But, um, yeah, it just changed them. You know, they were doing all kinds of things that um, that were out of character for them. When you say out of character, like, what are what are some of the... I want you to go into detail because I'm a detailed person. Like, what oh, are some okay. of the things that... Um, I had heard, um, I had heard this from John that, you know, that, you know, he was starting to steal. I know they stole money from my dad. My daughter went into my dad. Uh, her name was on a safety deposit box. She went in and stole a lot of bonds and cashed them. Um, you know, my dad didn't know anything about it. Uh, I think like 20 something thousand dollars worth of savings bonds that she cashed in wow. and, and used to buy drugs. Um, my son, the last two years of his life, he totaled out eight vehicles. Wow. And my dad kept, you know, um, finding another one. Um, this, you know, neither one of them. My daughter worked at the Census Bureau. She missed a ton of work, couldn't function when she was at work. Um, my son the same. You know, Rhiannon has filled me in a lot of things that I wasn't aware of. Mm -hmm. She said that sometimes, you know, when you don't have the drugs, that, uh, you know, you'll be laying on the floor 
rolling around in pain. Oh. In physical pain because the, you know, withdrawals are so bad. Wow. And so that's, go ahead. I'm sorry. They started out like taking like lure taps, hydrocodone. Gotcha. then, Then they moved to Oxycontin. Then they moved to Roxycontin. Wow. Then when this Opana came out, in fact, the day that my son died, three people in the neighborhood overdosed that night because they were so used to the Oxys and the Roxys, and they thought that they could take the same amount of the Opana as the others, and it ended up, you know, costing them their life. And in fact, they were paying a dollar a milligram. One pill was 80 milligrams, so they paid $80 for each pill. And at the end of their life, it took three pills to get high. Well, you know, that's a lot of money. So they, you know, they had to steal and, and rob to to get the medication to, to get that pill. Wow. And then with my daughter Autumn, uh, I just remembered this. You know, you forget things, but while we're talking, things are starting to come to me. So uh, Autumn left, and she went to Rian and Tess. Um, in Jasper, Indiana. So um, Autumn had a, a check. Both of them, um, John and Autumn, both ended up with hepatitis C, and I'm sure it was from you know using dirty needles. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, Autumn went to a study at the Red Cross because she had just been diagnosed with hepatitis C, and they offered to pay her three hundred dollars to to do the study. So she did. The check had came. She got that check and uh, went and bought drugs with it. She she got high that day, Harley, and then got high, but it wasn't enough to keep going. You know, it's mm-hmm. only three hundred dollars, so that didn't Ooh. last very long. So they were out riding in Rhiannon's car with a, uh, with my granddaughter Destiny in the car, um, and they were robbing. They were driving through parking lots. Never leave your car unlocked, and never leave your purse in the car. So they were looking to see. If anybody left their car unlocked or if there was a purse in the car and they found a car that the lady left the, the purse in the car, left the car unlocked and she had just got her medication filled and they got a hold of her purse and that's what ultimately cost Autumn her life. So the purse was full of medication. She took mm-hmm. it and she died uh, sitting up in a vehicle. She just slumped over the steering wheel and died. Oh wow. Um so with um the drugs, I know it sounded like it was like an upgrade, like you know, you're always looking for that high. And you know, my thing was I um Vicodin. Vicodin. I wasn't used to taking Vicodin, but I had a bad toothache one time. And um and I you know, you shouldn't do this. Now, this is why I call them people that can get addicted because you doing things without really knowing why and I had a very bad toothache and I did not have any pain pills and nothing around the house to take it away and this was years ago but my son had some pills that was in the house and it was old the pills was like two or three years old but I sent something for my for that bad toothache and I couldn't go to the dentist at the time because it was the weekend and I had got a um, Vicodin and I had taken it and when I told you I had it took away the pain and I had the best rest and sleep ever I felt like I was on clouds when I when I woke up 
um i was just like oh my goodness that's the best wrist ever because i can't i don't know how i i don't when i'm like that i don't dizzy high or whatever i go to sleep i don't like that feeling so i'm just gonna sleep it off and the next day you know the the um ache came back again and i took another one and i and and i didn't really like it because i had to take care of my babies and i was talking but i was talking with you know like all real slow and drowsy like you know i don't understand and i could actually hear myself talking like that and i was going to sleep and i don't know what i was saying but i know those days my babies really enjoyed themselves because their mama was asleep i don't know when they got in the house came in the house I, but i knew i had taught them how to lock the house up and get in the house like the house up i don't know for those days how they worked and managed without me it was two days and by the time that third day came, you know, I was sitting there and it felt like it was around that time that I needed to get rest. And it wasn't even dark outside. It was just like around seven, eight o'clock. And I could just tell it's going to get dark. And I just wanted to be asleep. And the Holy Spirit came to me and said, why are you taking that pill? I didn't have no excuse. I said, because um, I couldn't think why. And I wanted to say, because I have pain. I didn't have any pain. The pain went away. God knew I was about to get addicted because I, because I, and I, right. And I, and I did not, and I really at that point was not going to take it for the purpose of pain. I was going to take it because how he made me feel. And, you know, we'll sit back and we'll judge people and we try to figure out why they doing those drugs because it makes them do this and it makes them do that. People are not taking drugs because it makes them feel bad. People are taking drugs because it makes them feel good. It puts them on a certain kind of high. And and they can either rest or it takes them out of reality or whatever the case may be. Those two days were like my best two days ever. But what made me stop is the fact the Holy Spirit got my attention. And then I wanted to be uh, um, awake so I can take care of my babies. So I'm just so grateful that those two days were the best sleep ever. And I will always remember that. But I would never take those pills again and that um situation helped me not to get like if i'm in pain i'd rather deal with the pain i'd rather it be i'd rather hurt as much as i can before i take pills or i'd rather just suffer through before i even take any medication right now and i, not, I won't even take an excedrin and tylenol right nothing. right i take absolutely nothing right and it's really put conviction on my heart just yes. a few months ago about that because I took two Excedrin on the way to work sometimes two more while I was working and the Lord just said stop and so I haven't taken anything since and, and I don't ever plan on taking you know Excedrin, Tylenol Naproxen, nothing Why? and at that time because anything you know can become an addiction Why? it really can and, and even with my children in the beginning I could see they felt like it gave them more energy. Like oh, wow. if they took three or four Lord tabs, they felt like they were stronger and faster and better. Oh. But you know, as it as the addiction increases, uh, you know, it does it does change things. It, it changes their ability to work. It changes their ability to function. You know, but people are so deceived. They think that drugs and and you said you know how you enjoyed that feeling. Yes. And the, the way you slept. Mm-hmm. You know, people truly are deceived that that it makes them better, a better person, uh, a, a better worker. That it gives them more energy. But mm-hmm. I, I truly believe it's a lie from Satan. Of course it is. Like for my my situation was different, and I think that's how come I was able to stop because 
I did not like the outcome. I can't be attentive and t- watch my kids. I was a single mother and I needed to be awake and alert and with though with that Viking and I could not do it. It was just too much for me. And um and I and I didn't even know that at that time that people were getting addicted to pain pills. Like there's no way because that was my first time taking pain pills. And um and I just wanted and I shouldn't have done that. First of all, you can't take anybody else you can't take anyone else's prescription. And and I feel like because my son was, you know, six years old, that the Vicodin could not have been that strong, okay? Um, but he was prescribed that because he was, he had a bad accident when he was young, and he needed something to take away the excruciating pain. But me as an adult, thinking that if my six-year-old was able to take these pills, surely I can. And them things put me on my rear end. And, um... And he was only six. And at that time, I was like in my 20s, I think. I was like 22 or something like that. But um, not even realizing that people get addicted to pain pills. I had not been around people that were on drugs and things like that. So I was plumb naive to all the drug stuff. Now I knew about crack and meth, you know, things like that, but not pain pills. You know, I knew about alcohol, but I didn't know about pain pills. And I'm so forever grateful that the Holy Spirit let me know that you could get addicted to that. And I think the addiction came from the way it made me feel. Like people think that people get on drugs simply because it makes you feel bad. No one's going to take anything and continue doing it if it makes them feel bad. They like the way it makes them feel. Some people like, if you know, they're taking them out of that reality, putting them to sleep, having good rest, you know. But can you really maintain that? Can you carry on? And it, like you said, it progressed. You know, they went from these different type of pain pills to take in Hannah. And then Hannah had a certain pers- um, a- amount in it. And then it was like they had to upgrade even with Hannah, like three pills. Like, and it's $80 per pill. And they have to have three. And then that was not enough. Oh, my goodness. You know, it's a, it's a, it's amazing how the human body builds up an immune to things until it, you know, you have to continue, you know, going up on it or, um, or else, you know, so. And in the beginning, you know, they swallowed them with, you know, just like you would take an aspirin and then they progressed to where they had to snort them. And then towards the end, they had to use needles. Really? Okay. So, so it's the same pill, but taking it in was different. Like if you swallow it, it takes a little bit longer for it to get into your system. But if you snort it, you know, you feel the effects. But injecting it t- through the needle, it's like the instant gratification. The I'm not instant. even sure if Opana is on the market anymore. Mm-hmm. I did go testify before Congress. And, you know, I, took, I have a big poster of my children. Well, at the family, it was a button we had made at the fair. But anyway, that's whenever I go speak, I always take this picture. But I did testify before Congress to get um, this protective coating put on the pill so they wouldn't be able to break it down to inject it. Oh, wow. But I, I do believe that Opana is off the market now. But, you know, there's there's still there's so many opiates. Right, so many. Out there. And there are stronger controls now, more than there have ever been. I know, like, even at the VA hospital that, um, you know, some of our veterans that have been you know, they need their medication. They right. really do. Right. But I don't believe that they can prescribe more than 30 days at a time where before, you know, you could get, you know, six months supply at once. Oh, wow. Okay, so it's more control. Like, so you have to go up there monthly to see. Yeah. And then I think, like, with the pharmacy, when it comes down to that, it's like that everywhere. Um, 
everywhere, everywhere you go, it's they will be able to um, look in the system to see if you may have um, had these same pills or or wherever you go, they can they can they can see where you probably had those same pills prescribed. So you just can't go to this doctor and then turn around and go to that unless you go from state to state. You know, I don't know, but I'm sure that there's a way that they can keep people from going to this doctor and that doctor and constantly getting pain pills. But I know it's on the market and I know that people have access to that stuff and I know that there's ways that people make money from it. Um, But there is a lot of time you do behind selling pills. Sure. Selling drugs. And it's not worth it. It's not worth it. Because you should not take others' medication because of those type of things. And that's how come they tell you you know, never take anyone paint pills. I attest to that, thinking that my six-year-old. Um, but that's my truth. That's and it's time has passed. Um, never to do that again. And me being naive and thinking that it would be okay, and not even realizing what you know um, I had done. And I just I wouldn't wish that on anyone. And I wish that um, that there was an easier way. I didn't know that whenever you go through withdrawals, that it was painful. I didn't, and I, now I see why people, I thought maybe they would get erratic or lose sleep or they'd be agitated, but I didn't know it was painful going yeah, through withdrawals. All things go along with it, you know, the agitation and rage and anger. Right. Uh, so many of those things, but, but yeah, true sickness. Yeah, really, you know, crying, uh, diarrhea, you know, crawling around on the floor, just in pain. Wow. But, so but I know that I know that it's different. I know it's different from person to person, or drug to drug, because that's with you know with um, pain. Well, I can imagine pain pills will cause pain. So what I, I wonder, you know, what would happen if someone had um, crack cocaine or meth? You know, with will the withdrawal be the same, or would they have a different reaction? You see what I'm saying? And also with your children, like, what are some of their behaviors like? Did they lose sleep? I know we, I know they stole and things like that, but were they, you know... Uh, they definitely had rage and anger, uh, even with Rhianna. You know, we talk so much about it now. You know, she didn't speak to me for three years. It was, you know, it's very, it was hard for me because God told me to move here, and I didn't know anybody, not one person, when I arrived here. And I had to find a job. I didn't know... When I left my driveway, if I turned right or left, it was, you know, it was crazy. I I felt very isolated, very alone, very rejected. Mm -hmm. You know, my uh, soon-to-be ex-husband was in the house that belonged to me. My husband that had um, passed away um, was my son, and, you know, my daughter's there. And and I didn't know what was going on up there. You know, I found out later that they were getting high. But at the time, you know, it looked like, oh, wow, they're living in my house and they're living this great life and everybody's together and I'm here alone. Right. Uh, God, why, you know, why did you send me here? But, um, you know, in the end, you know, I found out the truth. So, you know, sometimes the, Satan causes us to hear lies that, that just aren't true. Right. But uh, Rian and there's a picture on my Facebook page that I post a lot. I'll have to post it again in case somebody wants to see a before and after picture of Rihanna. Rihanna now is just absolutely gorgeous. She is so beautiful. God has healed and restored. But there's a picture of her uh, when she first arrived here. Her eyes were black underneath. Her face was all picked up. 
she had sores everywhere. Wow. Um, she just, uh, the, you know, the whites of her eyes didn't look right. She just, she looked horrible. She looked like the devil. She right. really did. And then, you know, as, as time went on, like we would, we would spend, you know, hours every day and I would say, repeat after me, say this, Rhiannon, pray this. And we just, we just spent so much time together and we just prayed and, and, and spoke things and believed things and, you know, God restored her. He restored her beauty. He restored her mind. He restored her peace. But yeah, Come she was on. a mess. Wow. She even told me about uh, sometimes she would just know that she was going to die that day. She Ooh. And she had two children. And so she would write notes and stick them like in the medicine cabinet and stuff. So if she passed away that night, there would be something left for her children, for her children to know that she, she really did love them and she was so sorry. That's, you know, has to be, you know, a lot as a um, as a parent, you know, to to have this with your children to see with your, you know, husband. And I, when we come back again, because I want to talk, I want you to talk about how did this affect you as a parent, how it affected the the, the children, what they went through, and things like that. So this is not over, because I, I, I really want to tap into that. So when people are listening to this podcast, they will have a better understanding. Um, about it, because I like to, I like to be able to dig deep, uh, you know, and into and be able to see how it affected you being married to someone that had, you know, dealt with addiction in the spirit of depression or suicidal spirit. Like, how did that affect you in your home? You know, things like that. So, I, I want to be able to to have you to come back if you don't mind, and then talk a little bit more about that, you know, um, and how it affected you. That's my passion. Yes, ma'am. I know God didn't let me walk through, uh, you know, the death and burial of my husband and two children for no reason. But I right. know he has a purpose. I know he has a plan. Yes. And I know, and I, know I have a calling on my life. Absolutely. To help people break free. Come on, and that's and that's what it's that's what's gonna take. And just like you said with your daughter, you took her in, you said, hey, repeat this, repeat this, and say this after me. And then you have a powerful testimony. Look how God delivered her, brought her out, but you was relentless. You refused to lose another child, and you refused to just let her go. And you just, you know, you kept your hope because you could have just said, I'm done. I, I just want to escape from it all. I don't want to have to deal with this anymore, you know, but you stay steadfast. And just to look at how you persevere now. And now you have a powerful testimony. And like you told me before, that now you're able to recognize other people when they oh, yeah i have the gift of discernment especially when it comes to that right. i can watch somebody walking i can tell by their walk i can tell by their speech <coughs> i can tell by their eyes um a lot of times i can tell if they you know if they're smoking pot or if they're taking pills or if they're on meth or coke or whatever it's it's just you know so obvious to me and it's heartbreaking and, and i meet you know people every single day that are struggling with addiction and i think because people you know a lot of people that i've worked with and, and especially in restaurants and stuff you know there's some there's drugs are just everywhere and i love serving and i, I have a servant's heart and i love preparing for food serving food feeding people that is you know another passion of mine and it opens up doors to meet so many people but um you know drugs are everywhere and it's so heartbreaking it breaks my heart and and people really truly believe that that they're a better worker or a better person and it's a lot you know satan has them so deceived right and um i I had taken john once to um 
a treatment center and tried to get him to stay. And I remember the day uh, when we were there for the intake, the man said, John, you know, either uh, you're going to go to jail, prison, or you're going to die. And he said, I know that. He said, but I can't stay today. He said, I got a big job coming up, blah, blah, blah. I can't stay, but after this job's over, I'll come back and I'll check in. You know, he never got that opportunity. Wow. That's heartbreaking. Wow. And you just think, do they really, do they really want the help? Do they really want to stop? Or do they think that it's even possible? You know, I know John and I used to talk to, you know, where it speaks in the Bible because we went to a deliverance ministry for about nine years. And uh, I'd always say, you know, John, why don't you go through deliverance? And he was afraid. He said, no, because, you know, Mom, if I go through deliverance and God delivers me and I go back, Satan has the right to bring, you know, seven times stronger. And he said, I, I couldn't, I couldn't make it. So he wouldn't, he would never, you know, even try to go through deliverance. You know what? He didn't have a foundation. So when he received the deliverance spiritually, what is the backup plan? You know, there is therapy. There are solutions. So the enemy had him so trapped in his mind that, oh, if you do go and get deliverance, you know, that you're going to have hell to pay because we're going to come back and we're going to be worse. And are you really ready for that? Like, what is it going to take? For you to get to a place uh, where you just say, I totally surrender. I'm just so tired. Because once you get into those things and it becomes a habit, it is hard to stop. And you ha- and it has to take a whole change of mind. And for some people, it may take instantly. But then for some, it may take a, t- a year, two years for them to fully get out of their system. And just fully stop where they don't go back because of that feeling and, and the lifestyle and then the carefree way of doing things and the enemy wants to always try to pull us back to the, our past to make us think that you're never going to be able to come out of this it's much easier to stay right here where you are it's, it's you feel better like this and you know I don't know what the, I don't know what the enemy tells them to make them not want to give it up you know and to, and to just live free and sober you know and have a clear mind you know it's like what happened that you cannot get, you cannot give it up. What happened in your childhood? What happened to you when you were growing up? You know that now you have, you're trying to mask things and you're trying to get out of reality. What happened? You know, and then that's why therapy is important. That's why it's important. Definitely. Yes, definitely. Got to have you a know, backup plan. There's so many Christian based um, programs now. Right. That celebrate recovery. I, I think that's a great one. And AA works for some people, and NA works for some people. I'm more um, prone to like, you know, Christ-centered ministries that 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 help with, you know, deliverance from drug and alcohols. But there's so many, there's so many things that people can do, right, to break free. And even with Rhiannon, and even though God delivered her instantly. I mean, it's still been a process. Right, you know, right. We, and it still is. You know, we talk every day. Right. We, we pray together. We talk about it. Um, but I, And I just see such changes in her still every day. Right. And that's, you know, and like you said, it's a progress. You didn't start. You didn't get to where you are right now overnight. 
you it graduated you gradually got to that place where you were addicted and on these drugs and you found yourself graduating taking drugs you know by the month by the year you know and then now you're here so sometimes it may take a process like that in order to get over this thing as well so that's great i am so glad you came on this podcast miss queen i marlise i'm so grateful that you got you came on and i have enjoyed you immensely i want to have you to come back and um talk more about it as a um you as a parent how it affected you and um and talk about the the spirit of suicide you know and, and, and the things that maybe maybe was said and what they may have spoken about and talked about and may have you know shared with you or what are some of the things that gave you a sign that it may be the last time you may have spoken with them because i know you said that you had a chance to speak with your children right before you know they actually passed away you know if thinking back on it now in hindsight what were some of the things they may have said or some of the signs you may have seen that you say i overlooked that but i but you sit in your spirit because you said you was trying to get to them and something was pulling you and telling you to go say something to them to call them check on them and different things like that and think about in hindsight the lord was preparing you to see them so you don't feel some kind of way when 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 they were taken you know so i do want to call you back to get on this podcast again give us more information about you know about your uh, personal information and how it affected you being a parent and dealing with this so we can help other parents understand they are not the only ones in this world that have children that struggle with drug addiction uh, or alcohol addiction or, or, or depression and how it affects and impacted them personally so i want to definitely call you back we have been on this podcast for uh, a, a while and it has been very interesting and i don't want to get off but i know we got to get off because we don't want to hold the people up too long but with the, i'm gonna listen to this podcast again and i know that you are and i want to go ahead and end it there and i thank you so much for getting on this podcast again and for you kings and queens out there share this podcast um let others know that they're not alone in this world they're not the only ones that have dealt with addiction and there's a long road ahead and and everybody is human and when you receive deliverance from church and ministry that that's just a process there's a long maybe a long road ahead and maybe a short road however the road may be everybody have their own road they have to travel never think that this the end all be all there's always a way of escape and there's a lot of people that have testimonies of others that have been delivered and set free and Queen Marlise is one of them. She can attest that through God and having faith with him, she refused to lose another child through drug addiction who was on drugs and prayed her through, stayed with her and to see her and her deliverance right now see her healed from this thing, she can attest to it that God is still in the, in the business but you just have to trust him and um, it, people do get healed from it and um and there's a way out and there's help there is help so there's hope so we thank you kings and queens out there thank you for listening to this podcast and we wish you well until next time peace and blessings